I want us this morning to turn our attention to a passage that's familiar to all of us about going the second mile. I was studying this this week and was thinking that this may have been one of the most challenging things Jesus ever said. And can only imagine what it would have been like and to appreciate what that audience would have gone through to, gone through to hear Jesus hear, say these words. You know, these are Jews listening to Him. They're under Roman occupation. They like their freedom. They didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. And so this whole concept of going this, this uh, mile is hard enough. And now Jesus comes along and says, go the second mile. One of the most humiliating rules imposed on them during this Roman occupation was that whenever they needed something done, a Roman soldier could just speak the command and a, a Jewish uh, person was supposed to obey that command. Remember when Simon of Cyrene was singled out in the crowd and, and told, commanded to carry the cross of Jesus. He was forced to comply. So if a Roman soldier asked a Jewish man to carry his pack to run in the air, and he had to do it. There was no choice. He'd be flogged, beaten, or, or imprisoned. And so this was degrading for these independent-thinking, freedom-loving people who had the Romans taking over their homeland. But this idea of, of going a mile even precedes the Romans. I read this week Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, invented a postal system to transport letters and important documents. And to make his system work, and that was a long way for some of these carriers, these couriers, to, to go. And so he also, as a part of that, made a rule that they could force anyone to carry their load for at least a mile to help them as they were making their journey. So the Romans adopted this system for the military for the same reason to help their soldiers. Sometimes their pack could weigh well over 60 pounds. And so they could in turn ask someone else to carry it for at least a mile. And the Roman roads had mile markers similar to the way we do our interstate highways even today. And we appreciate that in so many ways. But I guarantee you, the Jews who were hearing Jesus' words about going the second mile was not appreciating a mile system or a mile marker at all. They hated the Romans being there. And think about this. It wasn't just going a mile. They were already going two miles. They would have to carry the load one and then have to walk back another to whatever they are doing that day. So when Jesus said, if someone asks you to go a mile, go with him two that meant now you've got to carry that load for two miles and then walk back two miles. How would you like to live your life knowing that at any day, any time, you could either tap on the shoulder or knock on the door and you had to do a four-mile walk? It was quite an intrusion. It would be hard to have the right attitude this about this. So they were, they were used to this go-one-mile kind of imposition, and now Jesus... It's telling them about this new kingdom. And he mentions the concept about going a second mile. Meaning walking four miles. Matthew 5.41. I put it on the top of your outline. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I can picture these people scowling at this. Looking at each other saying, there's no way. Is he speaking figuratively or is this something to be taken literally? I mean, are we not giving aid and comfort to the enemy? And even more so if we double what they expect of us? I can't help but think few things upset his audience 
more than these simple words. And here's the principle I think Jesus was establishing. A Christian should be willing to do much more than what is reasonably expected. And what we see in Jesus' lives is that's the way He lived. So followers of Christ should be more congenial and and more industrious and more generous and, and more thoughtful than anticipated. Even toward those who have authority over us. Even toward those who treat us poorly. If we would put this principle into practice, it makes such a difference. I want to open your Bibles to Matthew 14. I want us to see kind of day in the life of Jesus. I mentioned several others, but I want to get, begin in Matthew 14. Because I want you to see this. Jesus repeatedly went the second mile. That's the way he lived. I want you to see Jesus practice what he preached. This chapter kind of, in my mind, records one of the hardest, if not one of the hardest day in his ministry as he's going about things. In Matthew 15, beginning verse, uh, 14, beginning verse 15, it shows us here he didn't just talk about it. He, he, he lived it. He modeled it. Now, the previous verses give us a little bit of a, the context that Jesus crossed the lake. And the reason he crossed the lake, he just heard the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. You've heard devastating news. And you just want to be alone. You just need a moment to take it in, maybe a moment to grieve, just a moment to, to soak in what does this mean. But he got to the other side, seeking solace, wanting to be away from the crowd, and he found the crowd beating there. They anticipated him doing that. And when he got to the other side, they were waiting for him. Now, the natural reaction, the understandable reaction to be saying, you know, this is not a good time. I just, I just need a moment. If y'all can hang on a moment, or can you come back tomorrow, that would have been understandable. In fact, you can relate to that. But the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them, and He healed their sick. Let's begin reading in Matthew 14, beginning verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. We're familiar with this verse. And and there's multiple things that we can learn from this miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 illustrated proved Jesus' deity. It encourages us to trust God for our provisions. We see that God can multiply even the smallest gift. It teaches us to be good stewards even of the excess. But what I want us to see here is that Jesus was doing more than expected, more than anticipated. In this very story, Jesus was going the second mile. He did a lot more than was reasonably expected of Him. You know, He could have just said, this is a bad time, leave me alone. But He didn't do that. Instead, He spent the day ministering to their needs, healing them. That's the first mile. But when the evening came, the exhausted disciples said, it's time to eat, we don't have any food, you need to send them away. And even if he did that, 
that would have been reasonable. They'd already spent the afternoon with him. They already had their, their healing. He'd been there for them for several hours, no doubt. But Jesus did more than expected. He sat the people down, took the boy's sack lunch, blessed it, multiplied it, fed more than 5,000 people, and goes the second mile for them. Other examples. I want you to think about this. What you know of Jesus. He repeatedly went the second mile. Matthew 8, the leper cried out for healing. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus could do that. So here's a leper who was an outcast, who had not been touched for who knows how long he had suffered with this disease. Can we even imagine that? No kiss from your wife. No hug from your kids. No handshake from your friends. Your mom can't even touch you on the arm. No human touch. Unclean. Ostracized. And Jesus didn't have to touch him either. He could have healed him from a distance. He did that to the centurion servant. Remember that? Didn't even go to the man's house. So Jesus could have just shouted, be clean. It would have happened. Easily happened. But He didn't do it that way. Matthew 8, 3, it says, Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. I am willing, He said. Be clean. Immediately He was cured of His leprosy. Jesus went the second mile. He didn't just heal him, he touched him. And in doing that, he demonstrated love and he demonstrated value. He demonstrated worth. John 4 records how Jesus went through Samaria, the very area that his countrymen hated and did everything they could to, to not go there. But Jesus went there. That's the first mile. But he went the second mile when he talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he engaged her in conversation. And he stayed there in Samaria for two days. And the result... Many people came to believe. And John 9 relates how Jesus healed the man who was blind. That's the first mile. But then he heard that this blind man who could now see because of his testimony was kicked out of the, uh, the synagogue. So Jesus goes back to him and encourages him. That's the second mile. And the result of that, the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. In Luke 19, Jesus saw the tax collector and called him by name, Zacchaeus. That was the first mile. Nobody else wanted Zacchaeus even to be there, much less have an interface with their Lord, this new Messiah they'd heard about. That's the first mile. But the second mile is when he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house to eat. And the result of going that second mile is that salvation came to Zacchaeus and his house, and he gave away half of his wealth to the poor. Think about how Jesus walked the second mile throughout His life, continually extending grace to Judas, who was to betray Him. Reinstating Peter, even after he denied Him. Giving more evidence to Thomas when he had trouble believing. His life, His ministry is one event after another of doing more than expected, more than anticipated, of going the second mile. Jesus left us an example. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. And we say is our mission is to be completely committed followers of Jesus. And if we're completely committed followers of Jesus, that means we're going to be the ones to go the second mile. And again, think about what a difference... That simple and yet profound command would make if we lived it 
the way Jesus did. And I'm not just talking about with your family or your friends or, or the people who make it easy, the people you care for. I want to think about those of us who work full-time jobs. Think about if you employ this principle, this standard, this way of living into your work every day. What if Christians went the second mile at work? Now, there are plenty of people who are trying to make an extra buck doing as little as they can to get by. In fact, sometimes that seems like the norm. In every line of work, just enough. What's expected of them? They watch the clock. Leave as early as possible. They take their breaks. Sometimes do as best they can to extend it. If they're given a sick day, they do all they can to claim it. Whether they're sick or not, they're only willing to do what their job description outlines for them and no more. You know, my pet peeve, and I appreciate this when they sign, when you go to a register to check out, you know, at the grocery store or Lowe's or department store where they ask you to not be on the cell phone. I appreciate that, and I obey that rule. Sometimes I wish the cashiers followed that rule. And not so much the cell phone, but have you ever been there and you're checking out and they're talking to each other about their weekend plans or something else? I'm thinking, if I'm supposed to hang up from my phone conversation, why don't you hang up from yours too? You know, concentrate on the task at hand. There's so many who are doing so little just to get by. So many use no creativity to meet the needs. They know the rules. And the rules sometimes, instead of helping them to do their job well, it trips them up. There's an old movie, Five Easy Pieces, and a scene where Jack Nicholson goes into a restaurant and he asks for two pieces of toast. His server says, we don't, we don't serve toast. It's not on the menu. He said, well, do you have bread? Do you have a toaster? Then we could have some toast. He said, it's not on the menu. Well, he looked at the menu and he said, well, I see you have a chicken salad sandwich. Tell me what that is. What's it consist of? So she explains it's chicken salad and mayonnaise. You can have it on bread, either toasted or plain. He said, I'll have the chicken salad sandwich on toasted bread. Hold the chicken salad, hold the mayo, hold the lettuce, and bring me what's left. People make all kinds of excuses for doing as little as possible. My boss is a jerk. I don't want to make him look good. People will take advantage of me. I don't make enough money to begin with. No one appreciates me anyway. Once you do it, it will soon be expected of you. Nobody else does it either. Other people will be upset with me if I work too hard. Everything I just said could be 100% true. Am I right? I think that's the way it is. During college, I worked summers at 3M, large plant in my hometown, Decatur, Alabama. Long, hot, 12-hour shifts in a chemical plant. It was hard work, but the pay was great. And as a college student, I was glad to have it. One summer, I worked in a department along with several other college students, and we were assigned to a task, a job with one veteran employee, an older person who was there to kind of supervise us. Took us a few days to learn the ropes of the job, and we finally got the hang of it. In fact, as we were getting the hang of it, we realized we had the hardest job in the department, the job nobody else wanted. That's why the college students were given that job for the hot summer months. We worked full throttle. 
we were knocking it out. Then we were taking a break at about the ninth hour. I had three hours left, and we came back and we were ready to go at it again and knock out even more for the last remaining three hours. But our supervisor told us, nope, we're going to knock off right there and we're just going to clean the area. And clean the area meant you got a water hose and you just kind of pretended like you were spraying things down for three hours. And being young and naive, we didn't understand, so we asked, why not? I mean, we finally got the hang of it. We've got this much done. We can get that many more done. He said, you don't need to do, explain to us, you don't need to do more than the usual amount. You'll make others look bad at the end of the summer because they'll be expected to do that much as well. I learned a lot that summer. What I learned by listening to Jesus, though, is that Christians are not to be conformed to this world. We are to be distinctive, even at work. Or maybe I should say, especially at work. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. When you and I go the second mile, we win the respect of co-workers and customers. It especially makes a positive impression on those who don't believe in Jesus. But if we do just as little, just as little as we can to get by, we can lose the respect. And no matter how much we talk about Jesus or invite them to church, it has just the opposite effect. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think one of the most tangible ways that you and I can do that is to go the second mile in your daily job. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to spend the rest of our lesson just kind of quickly going through a couple of ways how we can uh, translate this. If you're filling the blanks, I'm just going to give you the first part. But it, with each of these first parts, I'm going to give you the but or the even if or the although because every one of them has one of those. So the first one is this, do more than expected. Number one, you do more than expected, even though it's not in your job description. Do more than expected, even though it's not in your job description. A man's furnace went out on a cold, cold Christmas Eve night. He called the fellow church member who installed the furnace and said, look, I hate to bother you on Christmas Eve, but could you... Help me know something to do just to kind of get by till we can get it repaired. The guy said, you know, he said, the time's not good, but let me get a couple of more of my kids' presents put together and I'll be over there as soon as I can. It was after midnight before he came and he was able to get it working at least through the night. He said, but I'll come back tomorrow and, and finish the job. And he did that. On Christmas Day, he came back and he finished the job. And then he said this as he was, le as he was leaving. He said, there was a part that wasn't installed properly. That's our fault. No charge. Who does that? On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You know, the kind of worker like that, the kind of service like that, that's the kind of person, that's the kind of company you want to tell other people about. Let me tell you about them. They came and they did this for me. When I had trouble, they were there. They were responsive. But when I tell you that that company doesn't need your advertising because they already have more business than they can handle, it's not surprising, is it? Because they treat their company, their customers, that way. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. 
That passage is not just talking about money. I believe he's talking about life, about everything, even service. Well, number two, going the second mile means you do your work with excellence when you could get by with mediocrity. You do your work with excellence even when you could get by with mediocrity. A psychologist who does risk assessment of prisoners who are being evaluated to see if they can be released from prison, someone asked him about how do you use this principle? How do you go the second mile? And he said this, let's say information is lacking in a file. I can go with what I have and make a decision. Or I can go the second mile and make some phone calls and do the work that someone else should have done and dig deeper and get more information. See, the reality is with his job, he can make a decision based on the facts he was given and most people would never second guess because he was doing his job based on what he had. But as a Christian, he makes the effort. He does his job with excellence and goes further when others don't do their part of it. He knows he's serving the safety of the people. But he also knows he's serving the Lord. You know the verse, Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That's when a school teacher stays after hours to, to tutor that one who was struggling. Or takes all that homework with them so that she can be prepared or he can be prepared for the next day. That's why the construction worker takes pains to do the job right even when no one is looking instead of taking the easy way or the shortcut. That's why we appreciate the waiter who graciously brings another drink even before you have to ask them. That's why the stay-at-home mom who loads up two toddlers to take that lunch to her third grader because the dad, the father, forgot it as they were walking out the door. See, going the second mile, you could get by with less, but you don't. Number three, the second mile also means you show compassion even if the person you're helping can't help you. You show compassion even if the person you're helping can't help you. I think it's true for all of us. When we do something, when we help somebody, we expect something in return. At a minimum, we want to thank you. Isn't that right? We at least want them to be grateful. Now, they may not can repay the favor, but a word of thanks, we expect that. But there are times where you need to walk the second mile without expecting anything back. That's what you choose when you do something good anonymously. Sometimes we walk the second mile even for people who are competing with us, opposing us. Isn't that what, isn't that what Jesus was thinking when He said Matthew five forty four and following, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Is that not going the second mile? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Or not even tax collectors doing that. See, everybody goes one mile. That's what he's saying. But if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Number four, it means you lend a hand to a coworker. You lend a hand to a coworker, even if it's not your department. Serena Hertz reported to the Reader's Digest that she was in a department store. It's one of those where they have several different desks and cashiers, and sometimes, you know, the, the clerk or the attendant, they're out, you know, working in the clothes, and they're not at the station. And so she went looking for someone who could 
uh, ring her up. And so she found a, a, an employee, had the little badge on there, and she said, I'm trying to locate a cashier. And the employee said, I can't help you. I work in customer service. I know, you just stop and think, listen to what you're saying. Because especially in retail, everybody works in customer service. We're not talking skill. We're talking attitude. That's what Jesus was addressing. Maybe you know about the Zappos online shoe company. They are quite a machine. Their, their numbers continue to be impressive. But I was reading about them sometimes. They, they go to great lengths to, to train their employees. They expose their employees to every level, every job in their business. And then after their extensive training that lasts months and months, is what I was reading, they offer them a quit now bonus. $2,000 to walk away. No questions asked. Some people take it, but most don't. And the beauty of that design is that what they are doing is they're teaching their people. You may be working answering the phones, or you may be working packing the bags, or you may be working over here, but everybody's done time doing everybody else's job, and so you have a respect and appreciation for who's on the other side of the company, who's taking the orders, who's filling the orders. So you lend a hand, even if it's not in your department. Number five, you stay positive, and this is where it gets hard. Even if you don't agree with everything going on, you stay positive. See, going the second mile is not just about effort. It's really more about attitude. And the real test of our Christian life, of following Jesus, is whether we can be supportive and pleasant and enthusiastic, even if the policies, even if you wish they were different. A couple of years ago, John Kittnell was a starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he had a pretty good season. In fact, he kind of turned, turned it around to at least a tied season at the end of the year. But the next fall, he learned through the media that the Bengals' number one draft pick, Carson Palmer, had already been tabbed as the starter. Now imagine being the quarterback and you learn that you got replaced through the media. That was not easy news for him. He shared this as he was driving in. He was asked to come in for a meeting to talk about it. He was telling himself, this is not fair. I've not even been given a chance to compete for the spot but they don't have the integrity to tell me personally. I learned about it from the media. But since I'm a Christian, I'm not going to explode. I'm just going to sit there and listen and not say a word. But he thought, how would Jesus respond? And by the time he got into the office and he heard the explanation, he responded by saying, I'll be his biggest supporter. And he was. That's the way to demonstrate that Christ makes a difference in your life. Paul also wrote this in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Your attitude about your job, your attitude about your job, is often the window of your heart to your co-workers. That's where they see your character and determine the authenticity of your faith. 
Number six, walking the second mile means you prepare in advance, even when you could get by with winging it. You prepare in advance, even when you could get by. And this, is, this happens after you've been at the job for a while. When you've been there for a couple of years, five, ten especially, you kind of know things. You almost do it by instinct. And it's so easy at that point just to coast. And you don't really re- prepare for the job at hand. But even Jesus prepared in advance. He sent two of His disciples ahead of them. In Mark 14, verse 13 through 15, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Again, Jesus could have snapped his fingers. He could have said the word. But he made the effort. He took care of the details in advance. And you may be knowledgeable and you may be experienced enough just to coast and not really prepare, but going the second mile means you have more information than is necessary. You're ready for the job and even more that's asked of you. I read this week that managers at UPS are given this story as a model. And if you work at a business, you might want to get a copy of this. So an employee of the Heinz Lumber Company asked Mr. Heinz, why another man with less experience was promoted over him. You ever had that happen at work? Why somebody with less experience was promoted ahead of you? But instead of giving a direct answer, Mr. Hines asked him if any lumber had come in that day. The man said, well, give me a moment to check. And so he left and checked on a moment, and he came back and he said, a carload had arrived that morning. So then Mr. Hines asked him, what type of lumber was it? So the man left again, and he looked, and he came back and said, it's number six pine. So Mr. Hines said, well, how much of it? What's the quantity? So he left again, and that conversation went on for a couple of moments, each time with the man going out to get the facts. Then he asked the man to go into the next room and leave the door ajar so that he could hear. Mr. Hines called in the manager who had been promoted, who had the job, And he asked him the same question. Has any lumber arrived today? And the man new on the job said, give me a moment, let me check. He left the room and he came back with the following answer. A carload of number six pine had come on track three at 9.30 this morning, totaling 3,500 board feet. The lumber was unloaded at 2 o'clock p.m. and stored in warehouse number 18. It was order number 65-03 for the Williams Company, and its total value was $16,352. Mr. Hines says, thank you very much. You, You can go now. The man who didn't get the job, who heard all of this, came back in the room with his head down, and he realized why he didn't get the job. Going the second mile means preparing in advance. Number seven, it also means you follow up, even though that's the least glamorous part of your job. If you're trying to make the sale, if you're trying to win the person over, trying to do the job, it's, it's easier then to give 100%, to give it all you've got, to, to go the second mile. But, but after the sale's been made, after the job is done, it's easy just to let it go and not follow up. When you go that second mile, and you send a note or make a, maybe you make a phone call or send an email and say, hey, is everything going okay? That's appreciated. 
My nurse practitioner at Vanderbilt is one of the best. I've been seeing her for 27 years. I did the math when I was thinking about this. She sends me a detailed report after every checkup. And always, always, there's a note, a handwritten note, or at least a signature. Now, I've been in her office. I know the staff. She's got clerical help who makes the copies, who does all that kind of work for her. But she takes the time to put her name and that personal note. And I can tell you what that does for me. That does a lot to promote loyalty. Somebody's taking care of me. And then number eight, it means you're sensitive to the leading of God, even though it may be uncomfortable at times. Kind of a summary, but maybe this is a part of all of this. Going the second mile is uncomfortable. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. But sometimes when we follow Christ, He leads us where we don't want to go. Going the second, the second mile means it can be not just inconvenient, it can be uncomfortable, it can cost us in time and in money. It forces us out of our comfort zone. But instead of just doing the minimum for God, we go the second mile. I read this week about three elderly women who were immersed for baptism. Three. One was 86, one was 83, and one was 81. Two of the three had been uh, sprinkled as a child, and they realized when they studied Scripture they need to be immersed as adult believers. Even though for them at their age it was not easy to go down in and get up out of the water, one of them said as she came up out of the baptistry, I'm a new creature. Isn't it amazing to be in your 80s and say, I'm a new creation? What a good feeling it is to know what, that we've done what the Lord's asked of us. By way of conclusion, I put this on your study guide. Jesus went the second mile for us. To demonstrate His love for us. He went the first mile by leaving heaven, by coming to earth, to showing us God like never before, teaching us like no one had ever heard, healing the sick, showing us God. But the second mile was even more costly and more painful by going into Jerusalem and allowing Himself to be put on the cross. So when He tells us to go the second mile, all we have to do is look back at the Gospels from beginning to end and see that's who He was. That's how He lived. And to summarize, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul just puts it so well, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He did all that for you. Wouldn't you be willing just to take a few steps as we sing this song to come forward and turn around to this group and confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God just like these older ladies did go down in that water let the blood of Christ wash you clean and two, become a new creation. Or if we can pray for your heart, because that's really what we're talking about here is your heart, your attitude, so that you can go the second mile. We're going to sing this invitation song to encourage you. Let's sing.